Welcome to the AM Global Podcast Series addressing business concerns we face today. In this three part podcast series, we'll discuss the dramatic rise in the use of telehealth during the coronavirus pandemic. We'll touch on how organizations are dealing with strategic operations of telehealth, the legal, regulatory, and compliance risks needing to be addressed, as well as the future of medicine, with virtual health now viewed as a viable and prominent feature of care delivery. We're happy that you've joined us for this special three-part podcast series focused on telehealth and its rise in usage in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. During this series, we're going to explore how virtual health was deployed prior to March of this year. We're also going to share insights into the regulatory and compliance risks and legal aspects of telehealth that should be considered. Finally, in the last part of this series, we're going to examine where telehealth goes from here. I'm Peter Ivanowitz. I co-lead the healthcare industry group at Alvarez and Marcel. For our first part of this series, I'm joined by a very special panel. First, Dr. David Shulkin, the former Secretary of the United States Department of Veterans Affairs. Dr. Shulkin is a senior advisor to our A&M Healthcare Industry Group. Second, Dr. Lewis Levy, the Chief Medical Officer of Teladoc, a global leader in virtual health. And finally, Karen Davis, one of our managing directors who recently helped stand up and expand a telehealth program at a large university health system. Thank you all for being with us today. Dr. Shulkin, Ms. Davis, and Dr. Levy will help me as we share some perspectives on the dramatic increase in telehealth usage since the COVID-19 crisis began and the strategies that providers and other organizations have been exploring and implementing and what the future of telehealth looks like in a constantly changing healthcare environment. We hope that this series will be particularly relevant as healthcare organizations have had to pivot their strategies to accommodate the growing demand for telehealth throughout the pandemic. Now, with many parts of the country reopening, the future and sustainability of telehealth remains to be seen. So let's start with what telehealth or virtual health landscape looked like pre-COVID. What were some of the impediments or organizational reluctance to telehealth implementation that organizations were facing? And what did successful implementation look like? Let me start with Dr. Shulkin. Dr. Shulkin, you made telehealth or virtual health one of your signature interests at the VA. How does that experience shape what we should be doing and thinking about in terms of telehealth? Well, thank you, Peter, and uh, thank you for putting the attention on this important topic. Um, first of all, I should say that telehealth has been around for at least 40 years, that the fact that most Americans haven't had access to it was never a technology problem. It was always a reimbursement issue and a regulatory issue, putting barriers in the way of being able to have it done. When I got to the Department of Veteran Affairs in 2015, there was a national wait time crisis, literally thousands of veterans unable to get the care that they deserved because there wasn't access to doctors in the right places where the veterans were. And so I quickly determined that the only way to be able to help solve that problem for our country's veterans was to use telehealth and to use technology. And so I quickly tackled these issues of regulatory barriers and reimbursement barriers. And uh, in 2000, 
and 17, I was able to get a system where we could use telehealth anywhere in the country for any veteran in the country. We had to do that by using federal supremacy laws that I as secretary could do. I actually had to get the president involved to get the Department of Justice and other executive branches on board to support that. But with his support, we were able to get that done and started to help tens of thousands of more veterans. And frankly, looking at where we are in the COVID issues right now, if it wasn't for the Department of Veteran Affairs telehealth operations, they would not be able to service so many veterans who have been having to stay in their homes and get the care that they need. So um, interestingly, CMS took our same playbook in terms of what we did from a regulatory and reimbursement point of view. And during the COVID crisis, using emergency authorization, they followed those same rules and opened up access to Americans by loosening these regulatory barriers. And then they found exactly what we found is, is that this was a way to do something in a time of crisis. This crisis right now is COVID. The crisis that I did it in was the wait time crisis. But this technology and telehealth turned out to be exactly the right medicine for the problems that we're having. And now that we've experienced this, and now that we've seen that it works, the question is, which I'm gonna leave for the other panelists is, where do we go from here? Uh, certainly, it's gonna be hard to go backwards. Thank you. I think the VA experience is really insightful in terms of you know, what we've experienced in the last few months of necessity, as they say, being the mother of invention. Dr. Levy, you are with one of the largest providers of virtual health solutions. Even prior to the coronavirus crisis, your business was growing. In what ways? We have offered a uh, comprehensive suite of virtual care services uh, globally. So everything from our general medicine services, for which we are quite well known, to teledermatology, to telebehavioral health, as well as our expert medical services. So I do believe that by providing a comprehensive suite of services, not just in the US, but around the globe, has really differentiated uh, teledoc health. Uh, we've also had a very strong focus on the consumer. Uh, we know that, um, as David has highlighted, uh, we've been slogging at this for over 40 years, uh, uh, working uh, around issues around reimbursement and regulatory issues. But there's another issue, and that really is that in the minds of many consumers, uh, when they have an acute medical problem, they often are thinking, who do I need to go see? and not always thinking that perhaps the resolution to their uh, medical situation might be delivered uh, virtually. So we're always trying to think about our digital engagement and how we can best utilize communication mechanisms so individuals are aware that they have access to this important service. Another clear important area for us has always been medical quality. So it is obviously an advantage of telehealth to have convenient access to a physician, but I do believe that the promise of virtual care really rests upon making sure that the care that's actually rendered at the end of the day is stellar care. So we have a, the first virtual care patient safety organization, or PSO, established. We have robust quality programs 
to ensure that we are always moving the needle. We're very fortunate to have Dr. David Chulkin on our medical advisory board. Who, he's been a great uh, contributor to that effort. And through all of these, we really are growing quite quickly. And clearly, the COVID pandemic has accelerated the adoption of the services that we have been providing. Dr. Levy, I think you told me that uh, you were you went from about 10,000 visits a day to over 20,000 visits a day during the COVID pandemic? That's correct. Um, and uh, also, interestingly, 60% of the individuals who are utilizing our services are first-time users. So while a back pain or a shoulder ache may not, in one sense, be a COVID-related problem, it is in many ways a COVID-related visit in that these individuals who are currently accessing our care are not just calling us up because of pure COVID symptoms. They're also calling us up because they have a medical situation for which they would just feel a lot more comfortable and safe seeking care in a virtual way rather than having to go into a brick and mortar setting. So I'll move back to March uh, with many parts of the country starting to be locked down in response to the coronavirus. And many businesses were looking for a virtual way to run their businesses and hospital and doctor officers were no different. Um, and Medicare, as, as you noted, and some other private payers began to encourage this shift uh, out of sheer necessity. So I'd like to hear about some personal experiences uh, in telehealth in the time of of this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, including some rapid changes uh, that occurred. I'll start here with Karen Davis, uh, because Karen, you were running the physician practice of a very large academic health system. And suddenly you had to close down most of the physician offices and the office-based visits. So how did you respond? Thank you, Peter. Yes, we had almost 500 physicians and we're seeing close to 3,000 patients a day. And in one day, we locked down and lost 95% of our patient volumes in the ambulatory care. In a normal situation, it would have taken us 18 months to be able to initiate telehealth programs either from a lack of financial resources or the reluctance of the physician to accept that the technology. We were able to stand it up in seven days, which meant retrofitting all of our computers to have audio and visual, identifying a platform so that we could actually perform the telehealth visits, and then educating the organization from our revenue cycle to our physicians and our schedulers. And then the next key was letting patients know we could do it and be able to educate the patients. It was most important uh, as we looked at our general patient population to look at that population of those patients who were left behind in the underserved communities because many of those individuals did not have access to computers or to the internet. So we actually engaged the churches in the community and established telehubs so that patients could actually go to their churches and have the virtual visits. So those were the sickest of the sick patients. 
but we thought it was incredibly important to include them in the, the entire operation. And within seven days, we began telehealth across our entire practice. And by mid-March, 1st of April, we had already recouped about 60% of our volume of outpatient visits. So this was critically important. And for patients who had never experienced using telehealth, whether it was the elderly or those who were critically and chronically ill, we had many of them embrace the technology and, and were wanting to be able to establish and continue doing telehealth even after the COVID crisis was over. So it was incredibly well received and it will be part of the platform as we work further on population health and migrating to taking care of a different platform for patients. That's a great story. Dr. Levy, I think you told us, you know, nearly doubled the visits, uh, at Teladoc nearly doubled the visits uh, in the March-April timeframe. Um, what else were you seeing uh, your clients do, your patients do uh, in response to uh, the coronavirus through virtual care? Uh, how has it changed your footprint then and into the current time? Sure. So uh, one aspect that we saw quite clearly was that many of our clients elected to drop any form of copay or coinsurance uh, for visits on our platform. So they really were encouraging their employees or their policyholders to access uh, virtual care. So I think that that was a very important contributor to the rapid uh, increase in the volume that we were seeing uh, in our system. In addition to the uh, dropping of the copays, uh, there was also an acceleration of engagement efforts. Uh, we also have a very large and quickly growing hospital and health services uh, division of our company. As you know, uh, we closed on our uh, acquisition of InTouch Health on July 1st, and InTouch Health uh, has been rated by the KLAS organization as best in class for their hardware and software uh, solutions that power up many of the top academic medical centers and hospitals across the U.S., as well as having, again, a global presence in terms of their technology solutions. Uh, Teladoc Health has earned uh, the J.D. Powers Award for being number one uh, in uh, virtual care. And we do believe that the coming together of uh, Teladoc Health with InTouch Health really uh, represents a massive change in terms of what we are able to offer to so many of our clients. On the hospital and health system basis, we saw a rapid deployment where many hospitals and health systems reached out to us these were uh, individual institutions that had been looking at virtual care for quite a bit of time, but suddenly realized this was no time to continue looking, and it really was the time to act and implement and get these types of capabilities in their systems, just like Karen described. What a great panel and what a good discussion. Thank you again to our panelists. Dr. David Shulkin, Dr. Lewis Levy, and Ms. Karen Davis. Dr. Shulkin, Dr. Levy, and Ms. Davis will rejoin us in the last part of our series as we examine where telehealth goes from here. 
Please join us for part two of this three-part series, where we'll learn about the regulatory, compliance, and legal aspects of telehealth that organizations should be focused on. Our conversation will feature A&M compliance and regulatory experts, Colleen Curran and Mary Finley, as well as legal expert, Allison Fefke of Ropes and Gray. For more of our insights around virtual healthcare, including the results of a recent survey on telehealth we did with hospitals and physicians, please visit our website, www.alvarezandmarcel.com. I'm Peter Vanemans, and thank you again for listening to our program today on telehealth and its impact on COVID-19.